0: Hello, and welcome to the Dawkening Podcast Network. Press pound to hear the available shows. That Strange Show, Throwdown Thursday, Loose Cannon with Jar Jar Jeremy, Three Guys That Horror, The New and Improved Super Retro Throwback Reviews, The Audio Files 2.0. This
1: is probably one of Dwayne's worst films. Yeah, he's allowed to have a tooth fairy every now and then, sure. Yeah, this is a tooth fairy and then some because it does not show the monsters tearing up buildings until the f- last twenty minutes of the movie. That That's hilarious. what the game is. It's fucking monsters tearing up a fuck it's a fucking city.
0: Secret underground hideouts, cinema with Harrison Smith, Dork's the podcast, the Dorkening, Black and White Fright, the Wicked Horror Show. Subscribe to all these awesome shows anywhere podcasts can be found. For more information, check out thedorkening.com.
2: Everyone thinks because you're a zombie, you don't know good coffee. Well, they're wrong. We have very active lifestyles. It's not all wandering the countryside aimlessly or scaring passing motorists. And we all love a good cup of joe. And there's only one brew that gets my seal of approval. Deadly Grounds Coffee is my guilty pleasure. Bold. Robust. Delicious. It's coffee that can wake the dead. (laughs) With over a dozen different roasts and flavors, Deadly Grounds can satisfy the most finicky of coffee addicts. The aroma is so intoxicating. It brings all of my neighbors out of the woodwork. Deadly Grounds Coffee. Coffee to die for and zombie approved. It's good to get a little deadly.
0: the front door oh they're so disgusting nightmare terror from the tomb an ancient curse comes to life to strangle the living and raise the dead is the horror and the terror of a story that began in ancient Egypt. Take that Take it! When Khartoube, a son of Pharaoh, died in the desert and was covered in the shroud that bore the sacred power of life and death. What was he saying? He says that death awaits all who disturb the resting place of Carto Bay. Warning to every creature of flesh and blood. Beware the beat of the cloth-wrapped feet. Beware the curse of the mummy's shroud. This is the leader of the British expedition who came in search of the (laughs) tomb. The rich and ruthless financier who believes money can bribe even the devil himself. This is the son who knows there is no escape. Someone or, or something is trying to destroy us. I believe it will find us wherever we go. The wife and mother trapped by the mummy's shroud. Ah, uh, hey, I, I see, Dad. This is Haiti. The crystal-gazer who sees into the past and the terrifying future. This is the girl who is doomed, cursed by the mummy's shroud.
2: You mean I'm going to die? (laughs) In a few minutes from now.
0: Kill her! Kill her! Dead a thousand years. Now he lives and breathes to avenge an ancient curse strangle the living, praise the dead, and prey upon human flesh.
1: Welcome back to another exciting episode of Boobs, Blood, and Badasses, the Hammer Horror Podcast on the Dorkening Network. I am your host, Dr. Chris.
2: And I'm your co-host, Roe Lauren.
1: And tonight, uh, we are down to our third of four of the Hammer Mummy movies. Tonight, we are talking about The Mummy Shroud from 1967. How have you been, Roe?
2: I'm finally doing pretty good, despite, um, I guess, the world. (laughs) But things are good.
1: Did you get fully vaccinated?
2: I did. Oh, I'm so excited. Like, as soon as my county was allowing vaccinations for people my age group, I signed up.
1: (laughs) We're not telling you that you should get fully vaccinated if you can't. I understand there are some... Allergies with the vaccine, which medically can mess up some people, which I 100% agree with. Uh, Don't do what your doctor tells you not to do, basically. But if you can get fully vaccinated, get it done. You want life to return to normal. You want to go back to the movie theaters. You want to go to film festivals where they would show the mummy shroud get vaccinated and that way you can do it. You know, and yet you feel better and you're not worrying about somebody coughing next to you and being like, "Oh, they've got the curse (laughs) of the mummy
2: shroud. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The freedom is so nice. Like, and I'm in a state that, um, didn't give a fuck about anything. Right. They don't give a shit. (laughs) Um, but it's, it's still such a relief to be vaccinated. Um, when other people like don't care. So it's nice. Definitely. (laughs) We're
1: going to jump right now into The Mummy's Shroud, and Ro has the plot synopsis for us for this uh, third of four Mummy films.
2: I do. So The Mummy's Shroud, first released on March 15th, 1967, directed by John Gilling, is, as you just said, the third film in our Hammer Horror Mummy series. And um, we covered the first two already, so if you haven't, you could go back and listen to them, but it's not necessarily direct sequel. So, our film begins telling the story from 2000 BC, as a son is born to an Egyptian pharaoh, Bruno, er, Bruno Barnabé. Huh? Go ahead. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but his wife passes away. When the boy, Katube, Tulsi Persad, or Persed, is young, the pharaoh is overthrown and killed. But the boy escapes into the desert with some of the pharaoh's servants, led by Prem, Dickie Owen. Prem guided them through the desert, but Amantah continued to rule the land. As the servants started to die in the desert one by one, soon Kato Katobe also succumbs to the desert. As he dies, he presents Prem with the royal seal of the pharaohs. Prem carves the time and place of death onto a nearby rock. Flashing forward, it is now 1920, and an expedition led by Sir Basil Walden, Andre Morel, is searching for the tomb of Kato Bay, but goes missing. Financier Stanley Preston, John Phillips, and his wife, Barbara Elizabeth Sellers, arrive in Egypt, met by his assistant, Longborough Michael Ripper. The Preston's son, Paul, David Buck, is part of the expedition. Preston instructs Longborough to double the efforts to find the expedition team. Meanwhile, the expedition is camped in a desert but stuck in a sandstorm. Walden, Paul, Egyptian linguist expert Claire, Maggie Kimberly, and expedition photographer Harry, Tim Barrett, believe they are close to the tomb but debate returning back to an oasis they passed three days ago. They decide to continue, but Claire believes the trouble will really start once they have left the desert, stating some won't survive. Preston presents a news conference at which he displays the mummy, Eddie Powell. Uh, He believes this to be the body of Prem, who was buried as a pharaoh because he had the royal seal. Pressed by the journalists, Preston agrees to join one of the search expeditions looking for the group. When the sandstorm has stopped, Walden and the others find a rock marking Kato Bay's tomb. As they enter, they are confronted by Hazmeed, Roger Delgado, keeper of the tomb, who is armed with a knife. They disarm him and he leaves, warning them that death will come to them for entering the tomb. Walden is bitten by a snake. While the others are treating him, Preston and Longborough's search party arrive. They find Katube's body buried in the sand under a shroud, proving that the other mummy mummy is indeed Prem. Claire refuses to read the wording on the shroud because she believes it is dangerous and will rise the spirit of the tomb. Back at the hotel, Walden becomes ill and is admitted to the hospital, but soon after is transferred to a mental ward. Paul is suspicious and accuses his father of deliberately having Walden transferred in order to take the credit for himself. Police Inspector Barani, Richard Warner, arrives to inform them that Walden has escaped from the mental hospital. Walden flees through the city streets, hiding from the police. Haiti, Catherine Lacey, a fortune teller, brings Walden into her house and warns him that he will soon be dead. Her son is Hasmid, who tells Walden that they will all die one by one for entering the tomb. Hazmeed goes to the museum where the mummies are. He reads the shroud and the mummy awakens. The mummy goes to Hades' Haiti, house and kills Walden. A cleaner later finds Walden's body in the museum. Barani asks Preston to identify the body and points to the, out the shroud is missing. Preston wants to return to England, but Barani refuses, and wants him to remain in Egypt while the investigation is in progress. Harry has a photo of the shroud, so Clary, Claire asks to go see it. As they leave the hotel, Haiti gives Claire her card. Claire believes the shroud may hold a clue to Walden's murder, and that the shroud may bring something to life, but also cause death. Haiti and Hasmid catch Claire, or watch Claire. Paul and Harry through Haiti's crystal ball. Hasmeet awakens the mummy again by reciting the words on the shroud, and it goes into Harry's apartment and kills him. Preston wants to leave immediately, and Longborough wants to go with him. Barbara and Paul and Claire decide to stay to uncover the mystery. However, Longborough is spotted by the police looking for sailing departures, and Barani returns him to the hotel, insisting Preston remains at the hotel too. Preston instructs Longborough to discreetly book him a solo passage that night. But that evening, the mummy goes through Longborough's room and throws him through a window. Preston becomes nervous when Longborough doesn't appear and decides to leave anyway. As he's walking down the dock, Hazmid stops him, pretending to arrange transport carriage. Instead, he returns home to awaken the mummy, and again, it kills Preston. Barani tells Paul, Claire, and Barbara about the supernatural forces that may be at work in the deaths and says they're free to leave. Claire goes to Haiti and asks why her friends have died. Haiti tells her it is because they've entered the tomb and two more will die, including Claire, but she may be able to save herself if she goes to Prem's mummy and begs for forgiveness. Paul goes to the museum and sees blood on the mummy's hands, so he knows the mummy is responsible for the deaths. He goes to fetch the police and returns and sees Claire speaking to the mummy. Hazmid wakes the mummy by reciting the words again, and it attacks Paul. The police try to stop it, but Hazmid laughs and says that only the person with the shroud can stop the mummy. The police shoot Hasmead and Claire reads the words from the shroud, causing the mumble- the mummy to crumble into dust. Claire place- places the shroud over Katube's body. And our credits roll. Wow. Is it just me or was there a lot of plot? There was a lot of plot. Like, because there's so many characters. It's a ridiculous amount of characters, including another Paul. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. I can't believe I forgot to write that in my notes. You're right. This is another Paul. <laughs>
1: Played by David Buck, who, by the way, out of all of the main cast members on IMDb, he's the only one who doesn't have a profile picture for some reason.
2: That's so weird. Because yeah. he's, like, the main character. He's, like, for all intents and purposes, like, the protagonist of this film.
1: Yeah. He died very young, too. He was 52 years old when he passed away in 1989. Wow. Yeah. Best known also playing Gimli in the Lord of the Rings uh, animated movie oh cool and he was the slave master in the dark crystal oh wow he was also in sherlock holmes and the Do- in dr watson he played chesney don't know who that character is not the biggest sherlock holmes expert to really know uh i thought he was on the venture brothers for a second but no it's the venturers maybe that's the oh. sequel to the venture Brothers*. the, the prequel <laughs> uh no the venture brothers is like a parody of like all hannah Barbera
2: cartoons right Yes, I, I love Venture Brothers so much. Uh,
1: he was um, on The Magical World of Disney, The Scarecrow and Romney Marsh. Hmm, I don't think that's on Disney+. Plus. Maybe could could be one hmm. day. It sounds interesting. He was in The Idiot, which was a series. Huh. Mystery and Imagination and several other productions that I'm not all overly familiar with. But uh, yeah, he uh, original Gimli for Lord of the Rings are two female actresses, by the way. Elizabeth Sellers and Maggie Kim- uh, Kimberly are pointed out heavily in the commentary uh, by former guest of the show, Steve Haberman, that these are rather unusual women, um, especially <laughs> Maggie Kimberly, who plays uh, Claire. She's not a damsel in distress in this movie.
2: No, actually, I like both the women in this movie. <laughs>
1: She's she she stands on her own. She doesn't need to be saved. She's the one who comes up with the plot in order to uh, uh sorry, comes up with the idea of how to dispose of the mummy, not the men.
2: Yeah, she I mean, and she unlike the other I can't remember if it's the first or second one, when they also had an Egyptian linguist who ended up being like completely useless, uh, she actually holds her own. She's like, Oh yeah, I'm the only one who can read this, so yeah. <laughs>
1: And she's still alive today. Um, She was born in 1942, no death uh, date. She was also the Witchfinder General. uh, Sorry, she was... Okay, for some reason they list the Witchfinder General as a credit for her. She played Elizabeth in it, but the picture thumbnail is for The Conquering Worm, which is based on an Edgar Allan Poe story. Hmm. Yeah, that's rather unusual. Um, (coughs) And she was on the World of Horror TV series, which uh, was basically like a docuseries about Hammer movies. elizabeth Sellers died in 2019 uh she was the uh the other female character in this entire movie
2: yeah she's wonderful (laughs) at first i was like oh god we're gonna have a useless wife character but no i actually think she might be my favorite character in this movie why is that because she is so sassy she like openly hates her husband who is a piece of shit to be fair um but every line that she has is just drenched in sarcasm or like sass it, it's just oh it's great she's just great
1: <laughs> the guy who directed this movie john gilling also directed the pirates of blood river which is a hammer movie i was asked if we would ever get to and i'm like i don't know is it horror though i think it's just one of the many pirate uh hammer movies they did mm-hmm. the reptile that is a hammer movie Uh, I believe that is the only other Hammer movie that he did, unless I'm mistaken, but I'm just going based on titles on IMDb. Vampire Over London. I don't know what that is, but it sounds interesting. Um, stars Bela Lugosi. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Mother Riley Meets the Vampire is the other title of the movie. The opening for the trailer has a has a chubby guy in a in a couch talking to the camera and a beautiful gothic girl like uh like hugging him. <laughs> uh, I don't I don't know I don't know what this movie is, but I definitely have to investigate it now. Uh, <laughs> the movie opens up in 1920, so we are. <clears throat> um. Bruce uh, Holdenbeck, who is one of the people on the commentary for the movie. Um, which is, uh, from Scream Factory once again. Uh, says, uh, yeah, so it's uh, the audio commentaries by author, film historian Bruce uh, Hallenbeck, excuse me. Uh, also, they're on here is Beat, The Beat Goes On, The Making of the Mummy Shroud, and Remembering David Beck, uh, who we had just re released mentioned, and World of Hammer, Mummies, Werewolves, and the Living Dead, as well as a trailer and a steel gallery. So, once again, Scream Factory loading up their uh, films with a ton of material. And yes, by the way, they also have The Reptile on their website, too, which is a <laughs> hammer film. Uh, I don't know if you saw uh, that just came out. There's a Batman comic book called Batman Reptilian. I didn't. Yeah, it's um, by Garth. uh, Sorry, not Garth Ennis. Uh, Yeah, Garth Ennis. I'm sorry. I was confused with Warren Ellis. Uh, Garth Ennis, (laughs) uh, creator of Preacher and writer of The Punisher. And he was supposed to be doing it with Steve Dillon, but Steve Dillon unfortunately passed away. He's the other creator of uh, Preacher. And uh, the artist that he does this with recently just wrapped up his run on Grant Morrison's Green Lantern story. And his artwork was very weird in the sci-fi. It's definitely even weirder in the painted image. This entire comic book, by the way, is painted. Oh, wow. And I'm assuming it has something to do with Killer Croc.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So uh, definitely worth checking out. But back to this mummy movie. Um, So Bruce says in the commentary that there are 11 films uh, made by 20th Century Fox with Hammer.
2: Wow. Yeah, because I noticed this is one of them, because it starts out with the 20th century logo. Correct.
1: Which now, if you watch anything with that logo, it's just a century logo or something. It's not Fox, right? It's just 20th century logo. 20th century. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, (laughs) because Fox News, Fox Sports got the Fox Fox. Disney got 20th century. Oh, okay. That now, makes sense. one of these actors was in our previous mummy movie, correct?
2: Yes. Was it um, Powell?
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the mummy in this film is Eddie. Is uh, yes, Eddie Powell. Uh, he was also in Alien. He was Stunts and Alien, Enemy Mine, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Legend, <laughs> Daylight, uh, the uh, Batman. Indiana hmm. Jones in the Last Crusade by Batman, I mean 89, The Living Daylights, Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf, A View to a Kill, Octopussy, For Your Eyes Only, uh, sure. Dracula from 1979, that's the one with the score by John Williams, uh, The Spy Who Loved Me, The Man with the Golden Gun, Live and Let Die. Dracula AD 1972, Diamonds Are Forever, Scars of Dracula, Taste the Blood of Dracula, Dracula Has Risen from the Grave, this guy has done stunts in lots of movies that we have covered, and now he is the mummy in the mummy shroud, and all of his IMDb uh, little uh, thumbnails show him as the mummy.
2: Mm. Yeah, because I see on his, like, his little trivia page, he is almost always Christopher Lee's stunt double.
1: (laughs) And he's very tall in this movie too. He's also probably the stockiest looking mummy that we've ever had. Usually the mummies are kind of skinny because, you know, fat does not last centuries.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No. So
1: he is like the beefiest mummy we've ever seen.
2: (laughs) Uh, That was actually one of my first thoughts in my notes was like, oh, interesting. So this is Prem who was kind of short and a little like round and now Prem is this tall, gargantuan mummy. That's interesting. Sure. <laughs> uh,
1: a little bit unusual, of course. Um, this is also the cleanest room. When we have this opening sequence showing like the room that the mummy would be in, it's got to be the cleanest, clean room I've ever seen for like an Egyptian like tomb of some kind.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I also want to mention the beginning, like the very, very beginning before 1920. When they're talking about the story of the mummies, that lasts seven minutes. <laughs> and it's just a narration. Like, there's no, we don't actually get to really witness the, like, it happening live. It's like a narration mixed with hieroglyphics and paintings and then some live action bits. So it's really, I mean, I found it fascinating because I kind of like that sort of thing. It sort of reminded me of like, a Disney ride because the way the narrator was talking is very like instructional. But I feel as though seven minutes might not be everyone's cup of tea to just listen to some British man talk about. What was happening in front of this in front of their eyes?
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, I I would I clocked in at about between seven and eight minutes before we actually got the title card, and my notes yeah. actually read let let Roe go over what the hell is going on at the beginning of this movie because it's long and it's <laughs> exposition filled.
2: Yes, yeah, because it was like um, it's just setting up why anyone would care about the two mummies that they're looking for, which is. I mean, I don't, it wasn't necessarily, they didn't have to go into that much depth, but I kind of liked it because I really enjoy that sort of thing. It was like a little mini documentary right before the movie started, (laughs) but it was just about the birth of the next Pharaoh who was going to take over the, like the rule, he was going to start ruling after his father, but his mom passed away, I guess, during childbirth. It was kind of unclear. And then um, the current pharaoh, who is the uh, kid's... What is his name? Who is the kid's um, dad, Katobe, the little boy. His dad is the current pharaoh. He got overthrown by some like secret other group of people who didn't like, I guess, the way he was running his stuff. And his, that guy is Aminta, and uh, I guess Amentah he just continued to rule the lands because Katobe and Prem, who is his servant, slave, and then a, a bunch of other, like a handful of other slaves, escape during the chaos when Katobe's father is killed. Um, but they all die in the desert, one by one, because they didn't leave in, with anything. So they didn't have provisions. They didn't have uh, water. They didn't have, like, any safety um, and then it kind of leads to Kato Bay also dying from the desert because he's probably, like, ten. You have to... He's a really little kid. And Prem is, like, um, an older gentleman, I guess, who's his main servant. And uh, Prem gives him a pharaoh's... Like, a royal pharaoh... Tr- like, what did they call it? They gave him a seal. So... When Prem dies and gets mummified in his time, archaeologists of 1920 originally thought Prem could have been Kato Bay because Prem had the pharaoh seal. But then the whole point of this is that our main characters had gone on an expedition because they figured out through some kind of historical context that Prem was the servant and that Kato Bay was actually a child and had died in the desert somewhere. So they're looking for this mysterious stone that Prem had carved the time and place of death of Katobe so they could find Katobe's actual, actual mummy. So they had the real Pharaoh's mummy. Mm. So that was the whole point is just to set up why we have our little expedition people out in the desert getting lost and why it's such a big deal that the mummy that is currently on exhibit is not actually a Pharaoh at all. So, I mean, it was an interesting way to kind of, um, tell the story, but I can see why it wouldn't necessarily be everyone's cup of tea.
1: (laughs) Definitely. What's funny is they wanted to point, they put it out in the commentary that, uh, uh, Roger Delgado, who plays, uh... I think that's Hashim. Yes. Um, Roger Delgado, this is his first horror movie, and unfortunately he died in a car accident, uh, shortly thereafter. Oh, no! And, um... Uh, the actress who plays Claire, she's only fourteen years younger than the than the than the person who plays his, her dad.
2: Oh my god! Yeah, I actually did the math because whenever there's a whenever there's like a main woman, I'm always interested to see how old they are at the time of filming. She's only twenty five when this came out.
1: Right, and uh, this is very similar to Indiana Jones and his dad, uh, Harrison Ford and uh, the late great Sean Connery. Uh, they were only mm. like. 12 years apart in age.
2: Wow, that is so crazy.
1: Yeah. Uh <laughs> But I guess, you know, with uh Sean Connery looking as, you know, uh, old as he was and bald, it was easier for mm-hmm. him to play, you know, like he's supposed to be like 30 years older than Indy probably.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't have I actually had no I wasn't sure how old she was cuz she's got uh she's very very interesting looking. She has an amazing bone structure. Um, but she's got like serious resting bitch face. Like I do too. I totally get it. So I had no, I was like, how old is she? Like, how old is she? Cause sometimes I thought she was in her twenties and sometimes I thought she might've been in her thirties, depending on the shot and depending on her makeup.
1: <laughs> the, um, I was able to pull this from a website, which man, I should have used this for all the other movies too, but this had quite the body count in it. Uh, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten people who die in this movie. <laughs> I uh, think
2: there's more who die in the next one, because I did a body count too.
1: Mentah's wife, uh, wife dies in childbirth. Mentah, killed by Alma, uh, Al Mentah's men. bay dies from exposure. Al Menta, uh is, uh... Uh, overthrown basil walden's heads crushed by the mummy harry newton's acids thrown in his face so he becomes two-faced and then he dies long barrows thrown out of a hotel room uh stanley preston is strangled to death by pran Hazmid ali shot in the back uh by barini and pram turns to dust after claire invokes a death spell
2: <laughs> yeah uh,
1: how many of these people should be played by middle eastern actors and how many people in this movie are whitewashed
2: Oh, I know. I had the same thought. And I was like, another Hammer Egypt movie, another Hammer White People movie. <laughs> Although this one's not as egregious as our next one. Um, but there are but,
1: actors in this movie who are of uh, some kind of non-white descent that they can right. pull it off playing um, somebody of with tan skin, let's just say.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, the kid who plays little... Um, Katobe he he looked pretty dark um, Prem I don't know he seemed kind of white but they had weird makeup on him I, uh, it wasn't so bad because in this one there wasn't the plot line of here's this wonderful little white woman who is also the like great 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 blah 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 descendant of this ancient and Egyptian, Egyptian queen so it's like okay at least we're not doing that where is the mummy
1: shroud? <laughs>
2: you, you like in the
1: world Like or... where, where in this movie? Like what is the mummy shroud? Oh, like you think of a shroud that... as like a, you know, a fabric or something, right?
2: No, it, they're shrouds. Yeah, that's what it's called. It's a de- it's a it's a death death shroud. Um uh it was in Egypt and a couple other um couple other cultures have death shrouds as well. The thing that was off putting to me was how how uh, how much they just manhandled the fucking thing. I'm like, guys, this is a 2,000-year-old piece of fabric. You're going to break it.
1: <laughs> Did you know who the narrator for this movie was originally supposed to be?
2: I think I read that it was supposed to be Peter Cushing. It is
1: supposed to was supposed to be Peter Cushing. That is confirmed on the commentary.
2: Oh, Wow so
1: much better but this movie is not terrible by the way this is like an underrated hammer movie but this is not a terrible hammer movie um no
2: i actually i thought this one was pretty passable i didn't mind this one um my notes are very
1: all over the place because i watched this uh several weeks ago and so my notes are a little bit uh muddled but uh what did you think of the uh, the gypsy with the crystal ball and that entire plot? <coughs> Excuse me, that entire oh, plot yeah. line.
2: I feel like that was really strange. And that was another one where I was like, this woman's definitely white. Although, I mean, definitely not, a, you know, a Romani, but whatever. First of all, I just, there's a lot going on there. Um, I thought her actress was fun. She was like crazy in a good way. Um, I loved her eyes, but the plot itself just seemed so odd and not like I don't really think it added anything like you could have totally taken out all those parts of the film and it would not make no difference but I don't know they wanted more occult things I guess
1: yeah um the bubbling assistant in this movie—the way he is just treated by our jackass, um, you uh. know, father figure—is is absolutely horrible. Like, yes. he, like he does nothing wrong, but it's just like this is like the worst kind of toxic relationship that you normally see, uh, men or women in where mm-hmm. the overbearing um, head of the relationship just puts down uh, the other person so often.
2: Yeah, this guy. Like, I felt, yeah, I felt so bad for him. I mean, he's like that, the both of them are like that archetype. Um, where the, I think Preston, yeah, the Stanley father Preston. of Paul. Yep. Yeah, John Preston Phillips, like, Stanley
1: Paul. Stanley yeah, Preston. I'm sorry, rich, John Phillips plays Stanley Preston.
2: Yeah, some he's like some rich asshole who thinks he's super cool and awesome and wants to take credit for everything. And always wants to be the most important man in the room without actually doing anything. And then his poor little assistant who's, like, got glasses and he's a nervous, sweaty wreck and just shy little man is always taking the fall for everything. Yeah, I felt real bad for that guy.
1: Like, he tries to get that whole room hotel thing set up for uh, him and the wife and it's just like, nope, you did it wrong. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh God. Jeez. This guy has been in nothing that I even could recognize that I have ever seen before. Uh, I'm hmm. talking about John Phillips. Uh a lot, of, a lot of things, character, actor, and many things, television shows, movies. Uh, unfortunately, nothing that I can say off the top of my head that I've ever seen. Like a Sherlock Holmes thing here, a King Henry thing there. Um, I'm kind of still going through it now. But yeah, nothing, unfortunately, that pops out to me. Michael Ripper, who plays our uh, squirrely little uh, you know manservant, uh, he was Cobb in Taste uh, the Blood of Dracula. And he was the poacher in the first Mummy film. Oh, Okay. He was also in Quartermess and the Pit, and Tales of the Unexpected TV series, um, and Legend of the Werewolf. Hmm. Uh, da da. da, 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 da. trying to see what else. What is... Oh, he's also in Reptile. Oh, wow. The Reptile, the movie that I mentioned before that's on, uh, Blu- on, Blu- on Blu-ray from Scream Factory as well. hmm um, but, uh, yeah, just, uh, yeah, just terribly, you know, not, not even the best, like, comic relief psychic character. Just no. like, oh my god, I just feel terrible for this person the yeah, entire time.
2: Yeah, felt bad for him. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, now, the, the, so there is a third female character in this movie. That's Catherine Lacey playing Haiti, right? She's the, 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 uh, the, the, mm-hmm. the fortune teller? Yes. Okay, so there is a third female character in this movie played by Catherine Lacey, uh, Lived. Uh, she was 75 years old when she died. Uh, another actress who I don't know from a lot of things. Uh, she she was in a, several Sherlock Holmes productions. Uh, I want to say the Mummy Shroud seems to be the only Hammer film that she ever did uh, hmm. because I can't find anything else that she did that has jumps out at me. I mean, sometimes you just sometimes I'm astonished by going through people's IMDb about just things I have never seen before. It just there's so much content out there. You think there's so much content on streaming right now. Right. <laughs> the mummy is basically anyone's bitch in this movie. He doesn't seem to have mm-hmm. his own agenda. It's just whoever no. just happens to control him, which a lot of times seems to be the plot line of like for a mummy. Whereas like a werewolf, a vampire, a Frankenstein monster has their own agenda.
2: Right. And uh, partway through this, I was like, wait, why is the mummy even mad? Why is he killing people? I was like, I don't even understand why this is happening. But I guess it was because they. They fucked with Ah uh, Kato Bay's tomb. So because Prem was his like servant, and he he like, I guess, really cared that deeply about it. He's all mad. That's all I could come up with. It's like, why does he give a shit?
1: <laughs> the um when when the mummy kills Stanley Preston on the commentary, I watched this like back and forth, like i I rewound the film and watched it <laughs> with the commentary right after watching the main scene. Mm -hmm. Um, he points out that when the mummy kills Preston, the blood is on the wall before he strikes him.
2: (laughs) I did not notice that. That's so funny.
1: Yeah. The continuity woman for this is Eileen Head. I don't remember if we've talked about her before. Let's bring her up. Uh, She was a scripted continuity woman for First Men in the Moon, Scream and Scream Again, Uh, Frankenstein Created Woman, so we have talked about her before. Uh, mm-hmm. The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb. So she's been the continuity for the other Mummy film. She was not continuity person for the other the the Mummy, but she was for uh, this film and the uh, previous Mummy film.
2: Hmm. Um, I also want to point out that it, it's like almost fifty minutes into this hour and a half film that the Mummy first. Uh, awakens and kills somebody
1: (laughs) yes it is a long time before we actually see any kind of mummy action if this was made today that would never fly unfortunately because studios want the mummy to do something right from the beginning of the movie even after they get over the origin story um even in the brendan fraser mummy movie we still see something of the mummy's power right in the beginning
2: Mm -hmm.
1: i'm currently watching the animated series uh it's not terrible. It's definitely made for kids, but it's definitely not completely stupid that I can't get into it episode after episode. The big climax of the movie with the mummy and everybody finally getting in on it uh, is pretty big. I mean, the mummy takes a significant amount of damage. Um, Mm -hmm. Claire seems to be the person who uh, is able to do the whole magic word stop the mummy process. Very similar to Evie in the Brendan Fraser mummy movie.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, during that scene, because he, Hasmead comes in while the police are there, Paul is there, and Claire is there. Um, And the mummy immediately starts attacking Paul, because he pushes Claire out of the way. Um, And then, like, they're running through the museum, and they're just breaking everything. They're breaking all of these priceless artifacts, and I just was, like, screaming on the inside, like, no, God, no! Can we do this without destroying artifacts? Holy shit. <laughs> they have to do that and for dramatic effect. I know. It just it hurt me on the inside. <laughs> I also like that this mummy, he's kind of a torture... He's kind of like he tortures people a little bit. Like the other two mummies that we saw, he just like straight up ganks their asses. Like he just, I don't know, he chokes them or kills them or breaks their back. This mummy, he, he kind of takes his time with it. Like his first kill... He squeezes Basil's head until he dies, which is kind of interesting. And then he also spills acid on somebody and lights them on fire, and that takes that's like a long, painful death. Like he's not—he's just—he's kind of like into this torturous death. <laughs> he's not a quick killer.
1: Bruce on the commentary relates this gypsy to the gypsy from the Wolf Man.
2: Oh, interesting.
1: I can see that. I mean, she's an exposition character.
2: Right. I also was wondering if Claire was named uh, Claire because she's somewhat clairvoyant. Like I was Uh, wondering if her name was a a pun. (laughs)
1: Like a punny name.
2: (laughs) Yeah, because it doesn't really touch on it. But uh, apparently she has some kind of like, I don't know, force. She has some kind of sense where she has uh, apparently predicted several things. Uh, I mean, according to the film itself... She has been with the expedition crew before, and she like predicted disasters or predicted where things were. She was the one who predicted where the tomb was. She predicted that they would uh, get out of the desert, but then they would die. So uh, I just wondered if her name was a pun, because I thought it was pretty funny. If it's not, it should be. And I th- I'm going to give them the credit there.
1: During the scene where all the reporters want information about the mummy, uh, they're all pretty much listed as reporters, except for one is re- listed as Arab reporter. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Not that actually given names. The Arab reporter is a pretty white guy, too. George Zenios. Um, uh, let's see. What was he in? Nothing I have ever seen before. A lot of foreign language stuff, too. So I wonder why he hmm. was cast in this. Oh, um, interesting. Another reporter, played by Tim Turner. Was in H.G. Wells' The Invisible Man, A Night to Remember, uh, the Invisible Man TV series of 1922, uh, which we have mentioned before. Uh, Pat Gorman, uh, who was the fairground Bobby in The Elephant Man, and he was on episodes of Doctor Who as a Cyberman. Uh, he plays one of the reporters. Anthony Nelson Keys uh, was in the Devil Ship Pirates, another one of the Hammer pirate films, The Pirates of Blood River, Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed, and The Curse of Frankenstein. I'm sorry, he's not one of the reporters. He's actually a uh, producer for a lot of these movies. Also, The Reptile, uh-huh. Rasputin, The Mad Monk, The Witches, Frankenstein Created Woman, Quartermass in the Pit, The Devil Rides Out, Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed. Um, so, uh, The Curse of the Werewolf, The Mummy. The Blood from the Mummy's Tomb. <laughs> so he's a longtime producer of a lot of these Hammer films. That's wow. That's pretty cool. The cinematographer for this movie also worked on uh, again Pirates of the Blood River, um, but also uh, the The Damned, which I think is the Village of the Damned. Now, the Pirates of Blood River was that a back-to-back film, played double feature with this film?
2: No, I think the double feature with this one is uh, Frankenstein Created Woman.
1: Okay. Because the Pirates of the Blood River uh, constantly keeps popping up on people's IMDb. I'm just wondering if they just happen to run back and forth between the two sets.
2: Right. Go <laughs> film
1: over there in the sand. Then go film over there in the water. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they defeat the mummy with the shroud, and that's the end of the mummy. What? Uh, that's all the notes I have for this one.
2: I had two other little things I had that. It was really cool when the mummy gets turned into like dust at the end because you kind of, he like grabs his face as he's turning to dust and you can see like his skull underneath and like his rib cage. Right. And then he falls to pieces. And I thought that was a neat little like thing. I wasn't expecting them to do that. And I thought it was pretty cool. Um, I also thought the mummy of, uh, cause you see the mummy of uh, Kato Bay a lot, and it's just, like, this naked little mummy body. And I thought they did a really good job with that prop, because he looks... He actually looks like a mummy, except for maybe like, the feet were a little distracting to me, but like, his face and the color and his pose, they were perfect. I, like, I was very impressed. Um, and then the only thing that <laughs> bothered me the whole film that I could not stop thinking about, which I think is just me, because I'm a freak, is, um, when they first get to the tomb and they are reading um, like they're reading or Claire is reading the like inscription uh, hieroglyphs. She says it's that it says rest in peace, which I literally, what the fuck? Because first of all, we're way, way, way too early. This is 2000. This is like 2000 BC. um, So, uh, rec- and also rest, rest in peace in, has to
1: do with Christ, right?
2: Well, yeah, it's Latin. It's, it's catholic it's latin and it's it's requies it's requies which is rest in peace it's latin so it's christian there's no fucking way it would say rest in peace and like why they chose to do that I don't know but like when everything else was I was on board with and they just she just says that shit it just drove me fucking crazy the whole movie I could not let it go (laughs) But again, I, that probably doesn't bother normal people. I just I just was very bothered by that. But <laughs> that's all I got. That was the rest of my notes. That, it was, that, was, that was it. <laughs> gotcha. Uh,
1: and this was also the final film that uh, Bray Studios, too, by the way.
2: Yes, I did read that.
1: Bray Studios was best known for uh, having a lot of the Hammer films uh, made there. It was a British film and television facility near uh, uh, Bray Berkshire. Well, that is all the notes I have for The Mummy Shroud here on Boobs, Blood, and Badasses. We will sign now the, uh, who do the boobs go to in this movie, Ward? Cause I
2: feel like no one. <laughs> no one had, I mean, I, I guess. Not like Claire, the next
1: movie we're going to do. <laughs>
2: yeah, right? <laughs> uh there no there was like no actual cleavage at any point but i feel like Claire's actress probably has some nice boobs she looked pretty in a lot of her tight little shirts or whatever like she had cute alphas and stuff but there was no actual cleavage in this film
1: the blood was uh, here there and everywhere yeah any particular scene that stands out to you
2: probably when they find Basil's body hanging yes uh, yeah And then the
1: badass would probably go to Claire because she's the one who stops the mummy.
2: Yeah, she kind of does. She kind of, like, propels everything forward.
1: (laughs) I don't know if there's a male or female... You know, uh, proper noun for badass. I, I don't really think so there is. I mean, I think you could be a badass, and that, that's oh, a yeah. gender-neutral term. So Yeah. Uh, badass bitch. You know, that's what people would say sometimes. But, uh, you know, Claire, Claire gets it this time uh, just because she's the one who actually defeats the mummy. And she's, like, the most intelligent person in the movie, I believe.
2: Yeah. Oh, definitely.
1: So that's all the time we have here for Boobs, Blood, and Badasses. Don't forget you can find us on Twitter at ChrisDSAV.
2: And at Roloren, R-O-L-0-R-E-N. And
1: you can find all the other great shows here on the Dorking Network, including the other Dorking Network show I do, the Spectacular Sal Buscema-era podcast, where I cover the issues drawn by Sal Buscema for the Spectacular Spider-Man through the 80s and 90s. And we'll be back in a few weeks with Blood from the Mummy's Tomb here on Radio of Horror. And I leave you now with Walking Like an Egyptian. (laughs) If you love what you hear in the podcast, please go to buy a cup of coffee. The Radio Horror link is in the show notes, once on top of the Twitter page, or you can just go to buymeacupofcoffee.com backslash Radio Horror, and you can help support any other podcast here on the Radio Horror Network. Donations go towards cloud service and new equipment. Thank you.